2: Hello, welcome to part two of our delightful chat with Michael Stipe. If you haven't heard part one yet, stop what you're doing. Go back to the feed, find part one, listen there, and then come back here for part two. Here's part two. I feel like we're talking about two things, both of which are crystallised in your book. So we've got COVID and that has changed the world in a massive way. Yes, Uh It's paused the world in a massive way. I I do fear that people will forget it and actually it won't change anything. That's my fear. But then we're also talking about just a word that's come up a few times is privilege. And the, the way in which we are all waking up to, for me, I feel long overdue. Um, The fact that there is so much inequality that I have through being a white gay man have been able to skip past and you know if i think of myself 15 years ago i was never talking about any of the stuff that i talk about now and i wonder what you as an artist feels that does for you and how you feel you must represent it in whichever medium you're working in at the time
1: i think accepting um, accepting that 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 that, that that's uh, accepting the truth of that and then allowing humility mm. allowing allowing humility that's that i think that's really important to be able to say, um, I don't know everything. I, I don't know the experience of that. I can empathize. I can try to imagine, but I will never know what it feels like to be this person or that person. Um, mm. But but there is a basic humanity that we all carry within ourselves. The book is also very much about feminine energy, and that's. I mean, that's 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 very much where I think we're headed. Uh, if if we actually survive. And I think we, I'm an optimist. I do think that we will survive. Um, I don't think mm. that COVID is going to be forgotten. I, we, we differ on that, on that. Uh, I think it's going to be with mm. us for a very long time and hopefully minimize. Hopefully it'll be something that's quite controllable, but th- you know, these are scary things and scary times that we're talking about, mm. but we're making these magnificent leaps forward culturally um, in terms of acknowledging privilege, acknowledging Uh, what it is to be born white and to be born cis male, whether we're queer or not, uh, or gay or not, or or however we identify. We're something that is not something else. And to be able to empathize with, to be able to approach that with an an amount of humility, for me, falls into what, again, what this book started as, which was this celebration of feminine energy. And and by feminine, Mm -hmm. I don't mean born with a vagina. I mean... The kind, that that energy that we all have within ourselves, our my ability as a male to acknowledge that in myself, and to actually mm. recognize it uh, as a performer and as an artist as a superpower, to say that vulnerability allowed me uh, as a twenty-year-old to be the public figure that I became, uh, mm. representing something that was very very different from what had been represented before, and very um, off the mark from what was being represented by my generation. And so I'm very proud of that, you know, but, yes. but moving, moving away from me, not about me, the, that feminine energy is where I think we're shifting, you know, it's the age of Aquarius. I mean, I'm a total hippie, yeah. <laughs> Chris. So it's, it's, I'm gonna, I'm, I, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, you know, I'll reference all that stuff and I'll burn all the incense I want, um, to, um, to support my ideas. Uh, they don't have to apply, uh, universally, you know, but, but that's my particular church. That's, that's that's where I think we're headed, and and again, I'm an optimist, so I feel like it's it's not all doom and gloom, and it's not all scary and sad. There, there are there are beautiful, incredible moments within the struggle of arriving at that place. Mm. We have to honor all of it.
2: And do you, talking about femininity, I'll bore listeners going on about this again, but it's one of the things I speak about a lot. Is that I think. I don't think people cared that I was gay so much. What made people cross was that I was feminine and I related to, to women and girls from the moment I can remember anything. I was like, "These, these, these are my people. I like hanging out with them. I want to be with them. And boys, I was like, don't really get it. I mean, that's generalizing, but you know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. um, and I thought, and it was very much taught to me a lot that that wasn't allowed. Why are you doing that? Why are you right. doing that? Right. And one of the things I've loved through this podcast is talking to people like Courtney Act, the drag queen, about how you learn to live with your femininity and your masculinity and how every single version of that, no matter what you feel inside yourself, is correct and right. And, you know, I adore that. And I think of myself, if I was 14 now, I wonder what I would say I identify as. Because I feel like being a gay man was like, oh, well, that's a club, which I get. I'll join that. But I think if I now, I think I would have the words to say I was probably gender fluid. I was probably you know, this, that, the other, like there's so much more nuance is what I'm saying. And I sure. I adore that because that has been around, that nuance has been around since the dawn of time. This is not new. It's just somehow it got lost for a period. And I wondered if you felt that as well. And if you wish there had been more nuance at the time when you were 20, for example.
1: Well, there might've been, I, it got shut down. I mean, I think um, what, 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 what was called gay liberation in the 1970s, was uh, on the verge of emerging, following uh, the women's the feminist movement uh, of the early 1970s, and ra- racial justice to following mm. um, uh, the great example of Martin Luther King and an acknowledgement and a recognition a recognition in my country that uh, that there were a lot of things between particularly black and white. There are a lot of racial issues that needed to be dealt with, and so uh, next in line was was the queers and so uh, i was 15 in 1975 all the signs were there that uh, um, not about me but i mean that they they were there too <laughs> by the way but <laughs> I, uh, it was all writ large I, you could see it all but um but I, it got shut down by politics in this country and then by aids uh, hiv aids and mm. and it took a backseat for a very long time so we finally arrived at this place where the, the fluidity, uh, and something that I've been talking about from the very beginning that I never identified with these very binary ideas of what is and of what, what, what is and what should be, or what, um, Mm. these, these very kind of black and white binary things were for me never, ever made sense. And so I've been talking about that for a long, long time. Uh, I'm, Mm. I'm glad that we find ourselves here. I'm glad that I'm glad that we're in, in a place where, uh, where that conversation is. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, to answer your question, really, if I was 14 in 2021, I probably might also be somewhere in that gender fluid or I don't really know. I, don't, I have no idea. I, you know,
2: mm.
1: I use the word queer because it just described for me something that didn't fit into any of the available categories when I was trying to define myself. And now, and now that, now, now, now it's changed that, you know, that has of course changed, but I think of queer as a, as a kind of umbrella term. And as we were talking about earlier, you know, now it's, it's become really, it's more about what I was saying about religion or about belief systems. You know, you pick and choose from, you know, if, if you're, if, if we, if we embrace or, or acknowledge that each of us, one, we're, we, we contain, uh, multiples. We contain multitudes. We contain platitudes. Mm-hmm. What is it? It's not, um, it's, uh, who am I quoting here? <laughs> Is it, is it Thoreau? We contain Uh,
2: multitudes. We contain Um, multitudes.
1: It's not Thoreau. It's what's his name? Walt Whitman. Good old Walt Whitman from Brooklyn, New York said, we contain multitudes (laughs) or I contain. Uh, If we, if we acknowledge that, then we can pick Mm. and pull from the best of all those things that we can be and put together. Who is Chris? Who is Michael? Um, Mm. Who are you? Who am I? How do we, how do we find common ground? Uh, how do we carry on a conversation or or or, or how do we how do we embrace uh, our differences and acknowledge what mm. what the beauty of those uh and and then find a common ground so that we can march forward together mm. so we can go into the future you know not holding hands and skipping and singing tra la la but with some level of equality and 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 uh, i don't know happiness what you know what's so harmony um, i suppose isn't it harmony you thank know. you harmony all the good h words yeah. harmony and happiness yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> we're talking about there's more words, there's more language that people understand and accept. And that feels like a place you were in a long time ago, a place that you knew what you were and you just, you know, that's why you said queer because that worked for you because um, perhaps other people's labels weren't working for you. Um, And I, I remember that you have said, correct me if I'm wrong, that actually You never had any pressure from anyone in your workspace to define who you were or hide who you were or anything. But, you know, did you... I always felt, and this is coming from my, you know, a a younger person, I felt that there was always something enigmatic about you of, of, of how you defined. And I wondered if you felt annoyed by that or that was a deliberate thing
1: that's so interesting that you bring that up i think the i think the term enigmatic was straight media's way of acknowledging my queerness Mm. without saying it out loud and i think that that term Mm. i became the eccentric guy or the enigmatic guy yes yeah in the workplace i mean my band knew from from the age of, from when I was 20 years old, we all moved in together. There was no hiding who I was sleeping with uh, or, or, or who mm. I was, who I was looking at across the bar at the end of the night. So that was all there. They, they knew everything from the very beginning, but, but I didn't speak about it for a long time because it was for me really, really, it was more of a privacy issue. And then it became ridiculous not to speak about it. And I started speaking publicly about my sexuality when I was 34, which is very late in life, certainly by today's standards. Mm. But that's when I needed to that's when i felt like safe enough i guess to be able to acknowledge publicly what i thought was i mean anyone who didn't notice at that point was you know they were they were wearing blinders because yes. it was pretty fucking obvious um that i wasn't i wasn't your regular straight like white pop singer that wasn't that was never that was never there
2: no and if you were doing if you were doing all of that now would you feel that you had to say because you had to represent in a way that back then I don't feel artists felt the same compulsion in some respects.
1: No, when I spoke publicly, the only other people in my field that had spoken about their sexuality as queer people were Katie Lang and um, mm. Boy George. That was it. Mm. Uh, I think around the same, yeah, yeah, that, that was it. Around the same time, Bob Mould from the yeah. band Hüsker Dü spoke about his sexuality, but no, you know, it was another four years before Ellen DeGeneres. Uh, Or before George Michael got arrested in Los Angeles in a a bathroom, Um, bless his heart. And he was a a sweet guy, Mm. actually. I actually met him a few times. He was super nice uh, and obviously very talented.
2: Yeah, a talent and a beautiful man who was, you know, vilified for being who he was. And it was um, horrendous what the press did to him.
1: Oh, well yeah I, well i, I British might, not press. Have, I might not have I might not have been in Britain at that time, but i thought he i thought his approach mm. was kind of funny and cool, like the way he embraced um,
2: oh he was yeah, i mean just so classy and intelligent and funny and fuck you from the very core, which I loved, but I think that you know I, I I lament those times of the way that he was treated for being when when the you know mainstream British press identified him as gay you know it was he became. A sexual predator you you know that they 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 painted him as such and it's a real shame and um well that's the dailies in
1: britain you're gonna get that aren't you you know you're gonna have a you gotta have a tough skin to live through that for sure
2: but i i remember um there being a period around aids and hiv in new york that there was a real witch hunt vibe going on for anyone with hiv and aids and how it was portrayed but particularly around you there was a lot of talk and do you do you, how do you feel about that time? And-
1: um, it was upsetting. It was very, very upsetting to me that people were talking and writing about me being sick. And I thought that it was a, I thought it was a not very subtle way for them to try to out me. Um, mm. and I didn't feel like, I mean, again, I had my own reasons for not speaking publicly about my sexuality. Basically, basically at the time I was thirty-two, thirty-one, thirty-two. 31, 32 when this was going on, there was, I was wearing hats saying white house, stop AIDS. And I was, um, talking about, you know, um, but I ran away from, I, 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 am immensely fearful. And so AIDS terrified me. It hit way too close to home for me to be able to, um, become a, like a member of act up or whatever. And I have friends who are, who were, um, I have friends now who were early members of, uh, founding members of act up, you know, that, that were there Mm. uh, right at the very beginning. But I, I just kind of ran the other direction because of fear to tell you the truth. Um, And Mm. then I felt like privacy, I felt like I gave so much of who I was as a performer and as a writer. And in interviews, I just didn't, I wanted to keep something for myself. And the times that I had tried to speak about my sexuality, the blowback from the gay community was more tremendously horrible to me than, than from the straight community, frankly, because I, I, because I don't identify as gay. uh, I was somewhere in between. And, and, they just didn't want to hear that, you know, the, the, and for good reason, I understand that some people had a much different struggle than I did um, growing up. And, uh, and I now understand that a lot of those people were truly concerned for my health and, and, and worried that I was sick and I, there wasn't, there was no cure for AIDS at the time and people were dying a lot and they were dying a lot here in New York where I was, where I was staying. Uh, it was mm. it was horrendous. It was really awful. I lost a lot of people, and um, we all
2: did. I think it's really important to note that what happened then was unacceptable. I suppose, and and I'm pleased that I don't think it would happen now.
1: Politically, um, you mean? In terms of AIDS? In terms of HIV/AIDS? Or? What?
2: I well, I think I'm talking personally about you, actually. Oh, oh sorry. Um, but also. What we've spoken about a lot in recent months on this podcast, actually, is how the whole HOV was dealt with, In you know, was completely unacceptable. And I don't know if you've seen It's a Sin, Russell T Davies' show.
1: I haven't seen it yet. About, no. I've read all about it.
2: I think you would love it. Hmm. Um, one of the things that he wanted to pull out in that show was that a lot of gay men were the people who also denied HIV in his experience living through that time in England? Um, you know that people were saying, "Oh no, it's a rumor. You know, it's not real," because they were in denial. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, It was a fascinating new slant. I
1: oh, know. I knew it was real. I knew it was real before anyone else did because of being spending so much time in New York. I remember the first. I, I mean, I still look up at these. Um, it's when it's when Klaus Nomi died. And I'd seen Klaus Mm. Nomi perform. When I was 19, I came to New York with uh, Peter Buck, uh, uh, my former band's uh, guitar player, Mm. and one of my best friends, uh, and three other people. And we hung out in a van, slept on the street, and and, uh, went around to all these uh, clubs at the time. And I saw Klaus Nomi perform, in fact. And it was just mind-blowing to see this guy do his thing. It was incredible. I, just incredible. In this tiny club with maybe, there might have been a hundred people in it. It was astonishing. But I remember yeah. looking up at the billboard that that memorialized his death and the sadness mm-hmm. of that. This was very early days, Chris. I think it was maybe in, well, I remember reading about AIDS before it was called AIDS and and being like, oh, holy shit, this is not good. and mm. uh, And feeling very scared for myself, uh, because I was very sexually active and I was very sexually active in a lot of the places that were really hit hardest by AIDS. Uh, and mm. so, uh, you know, I was 27 that I was 22 at that point. I think it was 1982 is when I became aware of it. Uh, I was 27 before I was able to get an anonymous HIV test. And then I was 34 when I spoke publicly about my sexuality. So There's a lot in between (laughs) that tells a a way different story, uh, you know, but there's a lot of sadness there. And going through COVID now, I mean, I I feel like I have PTSD, frankly, from having lived through AIDS uh, as someone in their 20s in the 1980s. Um, Mm. And as an army brat also having lived through Vietnam with my my father and my family, Mm. you know, but but AIDS in particular, I feel – these my reactions and responses to COVID and to um, the rules, rules and regulations that were, have been set out to protect everyone. There's definitely some fear there coming from uh, living through the 1980s and living through AIDS. I wasn't sick, by the way. I'm, I'm negative. Uh, I never. I, I, th- I think. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think. We, I don't think. I don't we said that. I'm negative. I was then. I am now. Yes. Uh, one of my heroes in the book is actually one of my heroes in the book was was. Uh, one of the people that you know dallas buyers club yes yeah so this person was pretty much that like figuring out ways to get aids medication to people um, at a point where they were it was experimental medication and she is she's now a great friend and and a, a tremendous hero of mine so she made it into the book
2: tell me her name for the listeners so we can all have a google
1: her name is ivy ivy arce uh okay yes
0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: One thing I wanted to ask you, which you spoke about in your voice notes, which come with the book, which are beautiful, is I think I heard you say a couple of times about being in the moment. Mm. And I feel like that's something that's really important to you. And... I wondered what that is, I suppose, and where that comes from.
1: Being in the moment. Well, first I can say thank you to you and Alan, because listening to your podcast and a few others um, gave me the courage to actually do the audio, the spoken voice audio that Ah.
0: helps.
1: You know, the last thing I wanted actually was to be enigmatic and to be eccentric. I really, when I, when I create things, I really feel like as, as a songwriter, certainly conceptualizing videos uh, for and with the band and then making books or, or doing the artwork that I do on, outside of photography. I never want to be uh, difficult to understand. I, I, I'm really – I want mm. all people to feel smart when they look at or, or hear something that I've done and feel like they can connect with it emotionally or otherwise, hopefully emotionally, but, but at least otherwise. And mm. so to be able to provide um, a little bit of a walking tour with my voice through the book, I have you guys to thank for that because it was really – uh, listening to your podcast and, and a couple others, as I mentioned, uh, that gave me the courage to, to do that. So thank you. I want to say thank you very much. Oh, well, thank you. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I really mean it. Um, I admire you guys a great deal. And, and so thank you for that. Um, in terms of being in the moment, I, I just, as I mentioned earlier, I, um, from performing, uh, and from being hyperactive as a child, having this very adrenalized state it doesn't do any favors for memory. And so Mm -hmm. allowing myself to be in the moment is not something that comes easily. Well, you know what? The truth Mm -hmm. is maybe it does come easily to me, but I don't recognize it when it's there. And then I want it. I I want to be there, but I'm always thinking about my mom calls it monkey brain. One of one of our great friends who was a yoga instructor and he's now sadly passed. He was the first love of my life. Jeremy Ayres. Uh, was my mom 's yoga instructor oh. years later uh, and uh, and a great a great dear friend of the family but Jeremy always referred to my mom as having monkey brain and that 's where you 're thinking about <laughs> you 're thinking about all these different things at one time and you can never focus or settle on one thing um, I, yeah. I try to I try to eliminate that and and really be there uh, I have trouble speaking and and uh, formulating my thoughts and putting them into words and so um, and I speak in this, as you've now figured out, if you never, if you never knew before in this very cyclical way, uh, I always do land where I, where I <laughs> intended to go, but it can get
2: really boring in the middle. Oh, it's not boring. It's great. Ah, ah, ah. Thank you. You're generous. Very generous. No, it's um. you speak in this way that is so um, kind of warm and kind and inclusive and and in the moment actually i think um but i think it's something that i i have definitely i could relate to because i've always tried to do that and i'm definitely very monkey brain um Mm. and you know there's always five thousand things going on and actually it's kind of one thing i love about for example doing this podcast because it's it's two people talking and you just go you know and that's all that's going on or weirdly my other job is i'm a director and actually The, it's so focused directing. It's actually quite a nice break. And I I think there's something about photography... ...because my dad was a fashion photographer... Um, ...that is about being in the moment. But also, I think that there's something about taking pictures... ...that I wondered if you can relate to... ...which is that you are in the moment and you're in the thing... ...but you're also slightly not there. So um, Murray Hill, who we interviewed the drag king from sure. New York, was yeah. saying that... He's amazing. Ma- Murray, yeah, he's amazing. Murray went to New York and actually used taking photographs as their access point to getting into this world, which they were sort of slightly afraid of. And I think I'm getting Murray's pronoun right, being they. Did you ever use photography as an access point to worlds, which you knew you wanted to enter, but you were slightly afraid of, uh, in the way that I, I heard Murray say that Murray did? And I, I sort of was interested by that.
1: Um, the answer would be yes, absolutely. Yeah. And really? also, you know, there's a... It's probably, yeah. I'm going to say it's following Warhol, but which... who plays a huge, you know, that's a big part of my understanding of how things are and how they should be in terms of art is through Andy Warhol, who Mm. I consider to be the greatest artist of the 20th century. Uh, Mm. uh, But the idea of having uh, this recording device with you at all times and actually using it. And I'm so glad now that I was taking all those pictures because I look back and I'm like, what a life I've had. What people I've Mm. met. Like some of them, it's like, it's one night and you're 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 there and it's gone and you're moving. It's like that uh movie uh with I think it's Leonardo DiCaprio, I think it's a Woody Allen movie called Celebrity and it, it it's just going from one thing to another, to another, to another, to another, and you're catch you're picking up people along the way and half of them are yes. half of them are world renowned and the other half are not, and everyone's just kind of like, whoa, it's one ongoing party that's i look at my Mm -hmm. life through through the images that i took and i'm so glad i took those pictures because i'm like wow man i have been to some incredible places and i've met some incredible people and i've had access to you know just let's say proximity let's not even suggest that there's a relationship or a friendship there but just in terms of simple proximity i've had access to some of the greatest minds and some of the greatest artists of of our time Sometimes they offer me advice and sometimes I remember it. (laughs) How about that?
2: What has been some of the best advice you've been given? I have to ask that question.
1: Um, Patty Smith told me when I was approaching a very, very difficult project with my former band. Mm -hmm. This was back in 1998 or 99. We were, we were, we had been friends for a couple of years at that point. She told me I needed to walk unafraid. And I actually took the. I said, "Can I have that phrase? <laughs> Can I have that?" And she said, "Yeah, it's yours." And I uh, and I wrote the song "Walk Unafraid, Afraid," which then became an LGBTQIA kind of clarion call uh, of that time yeah. for a lot of a lot yeah. of the fans that were seeing us perform live. Um, that became their song because it, it really spoke of of being an outsider, feeling um, uh, overwhelmed by the amount of things that are really in culture and in in life, kind of against you. Uh, but feeling strong enough to embrace the the beauty of who you are and what you are, and and just we're kind of running with that. Wow! And so I wrote that song, "Walking Afraid." Um, Trust your instinct. That's another really good one.
2: Yes, that's so lovely. And Patty, when even when Patty came on this podcast, she gave Alan a beautiful piece of advice, which was um, he was saying that he was frightened of doing this dance piece that he's doing, right? And she just said, "But Alan, if you." If you try your best, that's all you can do. I think it was something like that, and it was just like, yeah, absolutely. That's really simple, actually. You try your best; that's all you can Done. do. Done and spoken from you know the mouth of the sensei. I mean, who
1: could you know who could who could yeah. who could speak better about literally jumping feet first into any situation she finds herself in, completely unafraid. She's 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 fearless, and and that's again. I mean, not to not to circle back over and over again to the book, but it's that fearlessness mm. that 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 I was. Searching for when when I when I decided to include most of or all of the people in the book that that fierceness that individuality that mm. uh, embracing of of our vulnerability of our insecurities uh, as superpowers and I, I'm I'm yes. I'm actually quoting uh, this is great advice uh, in fact Greta Thunberg I think referred to her um, uh, her being on the spectrum as a superpower and mm. I was like whoa this is this is coming from a how old is she? 16-year-old? I don't
2: know how old she is. It's like 16 years. A young
1: woman referring to autism, her or her being uh, on the spectrum as a superpower. And I was like, wait a minute. I'm not autistic, but I've got superpowers too. And one of my superpowers is yes. my vulnerability and my my acknowledging that instinctually from the point of, mm. from 20 years old, from 19 years old, having the audacity and the courage to think that I could do that thing and then setting out to do it and then actually learning well, I do have a voice. Well, I can actually write uh, a narrative and a lyric and I can put it together. Well, I can actually, I can use that voice and I can do really good things with it and 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 entertain people and, and possibly move people emotionally, which is, that's that's what I go to music for. That's what I want when I go to music. So that's what I try to provide, you know.
2: Well, listen, I mean, you have provided it above and beyond for many many years and we you know from music to your art to your photography do you know what I feel when I opened this book is I was like I can't Mm. wait to see who is chiming with Michael as who's interesting next you know I think that's because you've always been the barometer of that for for me and for so many people and it was so lovely to see the faces and the lists and the names—it's—it's uh, it's just really exciting and it embodies a moment.
1: Are you a list maker as well, Chris? Because you suggested earlier that that's something that's important to you.
2: Obsessed. People say that creative people don't make lists, and I'm like, I, all I do is make lists.
1: I—I I don't make lists as much as I think them. I think in lists, right. and uh, <laughs> and then and then I have to write it down or I'll forget it. Uh, which uh, iPhones are really good for. But yeah, the book has—you know—if if. if if my greatest dream could come true, there would be people in this book who, whose names people don't recognize and they wonder who they are mm. and they do a search uh, on DuckDuckGo or on Google or on Yahoo or on whatever your search engine is. They do a search mm. and they find out what, 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 why this person might've made it into a Michael Stipe book of portraits and what's important yes. to, to me during this bizarre period that we're moving through about Ivy say, let's say for example, mm. uh, or cloud Cahoon who, you know, when I, when I discovered her, uh, you know, how would cloud Cahoon, uh, reference, wh- wh- how would she identify if she was 14 years old in 2021? Wow. That just mm. blows my mind to think about that. Uh, cause she was so radical, radical, radical lesbian, like radical for the time period. She was radical during Nazi Germany, uh, with a Maybe. shaved head and a girlfriend and like totally open and totally public about it. And, Janet Flanner same thing incredible the the amazing Janet Flanner so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of there's a a lot of good people in that book
2: the thread that pulls them all together is they are you know brave and representing the future even if it was in the past I suppose the bright new dawn that we all need
1: yeah and fierce which feels like a word from 10 years ago you know but but I'm okay using it here because it really it really actually applies
2: Yes. And I'm aware we've got to get you off to dinner. I just wanted to ask what's next. What's next for you?
1: I've actually gone back to music and I'm writing uh, and composing uh, songs right now with a variety of people, uh, all of whom I'm super excited about. I don't want to mention by name, but one of them, Andy LaMaster. I've worked. Um, there's a few songs. If you, if you, um, if you go to com, there's a couple mm-hmm. of songs that I released over the past year and um gave the first my first year's earnings to extinction rebellion and to um yes i love them them. thank you i'm really proud of the videos for those for those songs make me super very excited and a song that i wrote with um a song called uh no time for love like now that i wrote before covid that weirdly Mm -hmm. mentions lockdown and talks about a um a timeless space i was referring to the um the Bardo, but uh, the song feels weirdly prescient to what we find ourselves in now. And now that we're Isn't post, that we're not post COVID certainly, but we're, we're, we're now in the post vaccine or we're in mid vaccine. Um, mm. ho- hopefully a lot of the more optimistic things that we've talked about today will, will come to light and we can find ourselves focusing on these much more important, uh, these other, not much more, but these other incredibly important issues that we need to address immediately.
2: Yes, 100%. Michael, this has been such a joy. You are an absolute hero of mine and I adore you and this has just been the most wonderful chat. So thank you so so much for giving us your time.
1: Thank you Chris. It's been a real pleasure to be on and talking to you and um and uh good luck in the outback. I I wrote a song thank once you. about I Ad- I know I know Adelaide, but I wrote a song once about Adelaide. Did you I did. It's called Parakeet, and it's about a it's about a domestic violence uh, situation, and this woman imagining that she's flying off to a place where cats can't hurt birds. (laughs) But (laughs) I think I think in the song I I refer to Adelaide as Brisbane. I got I got the two cities mixed up, which I'm a bit embarrassed about. But it was Adelaide. Adelaide is what I wrote it about. (laughs) So it's a beautiful song. Check it out. It's really beautifully written. Yeah.
2: Oh my god! I'm going to go and listen to it literally now. nutritious and delicious that's what i would call michael stipe what a joy to listen to did anyone else google the um, incense he was talking about i did uh tried to get some yes what a refreshingly wonderful man so kind you know one of the things i loved that he said was talking about redefining his gender identity now and the kindness with which he speaks actually and also the the way the way that he sort of paused and said can i just talk about the sort of skype etiquette here i just think that's so lovely and i think it's weirdly something that people people don't do enough of and i think it's really nice to sort of just say can i just pause because it's sort of awkward but it actually means the conversation goes better later um from that point forwards so i will be doing a Skype on all my future zooms and just saying hello was it a zoom or a skype sorry probably got the name wrong um but uh hello would it be okay if i um just do a little bit of housekeeping as who's going to nod and who's not going to nod. Yeah. Hope you had a lovely dinner. Hope you guys enjoyed listening to that as much as I did. Please write to us and let us know what you think of it. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com or on Instagram at Sapiens. If there's anything that came up for you in that interview that you'd love, please let us know. Please tell us about it. I'd love to know more. Stay in touch. As always, write us your agony uncles they always remain anonymous write to us with your thoughts about other episodes with your questions they shall be replied to and please if you like this episode go to apple podcast rate and review and you could be in a chance in with a chance of winning a homo sapiens t-shirt if you get picked for review of the week and if you want to buy a t-shirt with all proceeds going to the albert kennedy trust at the moment it is everpress.com forward slash homo sapiens you can get yourself a beautiful t-shirt there you can also get yourself a wonderful sweatshirt i wear both all the time because i don't like to think about what i have to wear i just wear a uniform all right listeners you've been a delight thank you so much for taking the time to listen loads of love and goodbye